Previously on at the Nexus. That's not that long ago, so it's something that's been yeah. long enough to hurt my feelings in the most emotional way possible. Well, then, to make your feelings feel better, how about if you uh, listen to Control Structure 61? Oh, I, was it Tom Chris come back? Hello everyone, this is Control Structure, episode 62 for June 4th, 2014. Uh, big week to everyone listening. Uh, before we get started, if you're not looking at the show notes right now, please visit thenexus.tv slash cs62 to see them. Uh, I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and this is my co-host, Stephen Orvis. Hi, Stephen. Hi. And, uh... Perhaps for the first time ever, a our former co-host Christopher Thompson. Hi, Chris. Hello, Andrew and Stephen. So, uh, how you guys been? It's been a long time, Chris. It has indeed. I've been getting married, getting new jobs, moving. Oh, it's been a busy last four months. So, uh, a a new wife, a new job, a new house. Uh, you gonna get a new car? No, I would have a new car, 2013. Hmm. Bought it two years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And meanwhile, I'm trying to get my piece of crap painted because it's starting to rust in a few places. So... You should upgrade, dude. <laughs> so, uh... So, yeah, Steve, how's your week been? It's been busy taking that online class uh, for software as a service. So I've been staying up late at night trying to get the homework done. I got the homework all done before the podcast, so I only have the quiz left. So, I know I told you to turn yourself down a little bit before the podcast. Could you bump yourself up a little bit again? Okay. So, uh, anyways, uh, I've been uh, going through some uh, Kickstarters, uh, but... Uh, you know, let's let's step back for a little bit, and you know, remember? Have you guys ever played Scrabble? Yeah. Yes. So you ever notice, uh, especially in Scrabble, that uh, some uh, specific letters appear in certain places and words? Yes. So yeah, apparently it's true, and there's some analysis has been done, and it turns out that B, J, uh, P, and Q, and even W. Uh, are far more likely to occur towards the beginning of words, uh, whereas, let's see, Y and E are, uh, and a little bit of S, uh, usually occur towards the end of words. So you know what you could do with the statistics? You could kind of use it as a rule of the thumb to arrange letters that you have. Yeah. Likely combination that are fit a word, and then see if it's close. So, and, uh... I guess this sort of explains the problem that many people have with the letter Z, in that they try to think of words with the letter Z in them, but can only think of words that begin with Z, which are, there's not really too many. Zoo, zeal, and zest, and that's pretty much it. Uh, so apparently Z occurs like sort of like the middle towards the end, but not at the very end. Ah, uh, that's really bizarre. So... Yeah, I found this kind of interesting. So, yeah, have at it. So, 
hey, I mentioned some Kickstarters. Uh, well, not specifically a Kickstarter. Uh, Star Citizen, uh, the Arena Commander, or the uh, the dogfighting module, has finally been released. Uh, it was this morning, I believe, and uh, I fired up my uh, my launcher client. Uh, a couple of hours ago, and it's been crunching it for about two hours or so, downloading and actually installing it. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to try this out. And, uh, you know, because up until now, it's pretty much been a space garage. So, now you can go outside and shoot at things, hopefully. Cool. Or else you'll crash into an asteroid and die. <laughs> um, I remember when they demoed this at E3, uh, that's uh, that was pretty much, like, one of the problems that they had. And each time that they needed to restart it, everyone was chanting, Helmet, 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 uh, because apparently the animation for getting into this particular, uh, uh, spaceship, the guy had a helmet that he would, like, swing around and put on. So they all wanted to see the helmet? Yes, and it happened, like, <laughs> three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, another Kickstarter, uh, Road Redemption. Uh, the uh, improved alpha version is now available in, for the first time with keyboard controls. And uh, you may recall that uh, with my old computer that I built, I uh, bought a game called Road Rash, which is about 20 years old. Um, and it's you know, a motorcycle racing combat game. And Road Redemption is pretty much that, but you know, made 20 years later. And uh, the uh, latest alpha version has like the first, not the first 10 levels, but just 10 levels in general. And uh, I was playing through, I played through this, all that twice yesterday, and I was laughing for most of the time because there's crazy stuff in there. Um, like starting at like the midpoint stuff just pretty much goes crazy. Uh, like it starts out with like cars in every lane almost. And just at random, one will be going the other way, and it will just result in these huge crashes. Um, another one uh, where the cars just rain down on the road, just, you know, just falling from the sky. Um, then another one, which is, uh, <laughs> which is really crazy, is that uh, every car is out to get you. Uh, like, they start driving towards you, and you have to miss them, and other, uh, motorcycles, like, you're racing against, uh, put bombs on your motorcycle if you get too close to them. Oh, yeah, by the way, this game has bombs, like, strap-on, sticky bombs, and pipe <laughs> bombs, uh, in addition to, like, katanas. So, yeah, it's really crazy. And, uh, also, you know, it's kind of enjoyable to see your dude fly off the motorcycle and flap unrealistically on the ground. <laughs> so, so yeah, out, ouch indeed. So, uh, let's start, uh, talk about Kickstarter itself. They are apparently loosening the rules of, uh, you know, how they're, how they actually do things. Uh, the most significant improvement is that you can pretty much post a project immediately. Uh, you don't have to go through any kind of approval process. Uh-oh. And they are uh, sort of broadening the scope of what they can offer. Uh, this is largely in response to Indiegogo, I think, that you know they essentially offer pretty much anything that's not illegal and also have some uh, flexible funding options. So, uh, hey, Chris, you uh, did a Kickstarter once. Yeah, it was Crash, Crash, and Burned. Yeah, unfortunately. So, um, 
But like, when you did the, uh, you know, set it up and sent it through approval, I mean, could you say anything about that? Yeah, it took about three to four days, and I had to go register on a few different sites, actually. Oh. Like, I had to go register on Amazon for, like, payments, and, oh, and then I had to go to find some place to post my game demo, so I had to add that link in. It was just complicated. But... And then you have to wait for approval. So, yeah, and, uh, uh, how should I say it? Like, I remember w- a little while back that they had to, like, everyone has to have, like, a risks and challenges uh, section on their uh, project description. Yep. So, um, yeah, it looks like Kickstarter is uh, shaking things up a little bit. So, uh, hopefully this will be good for them. That's good. So, and now how about for an actual Kickstarter? Uh, Reading Rainbow. You remember that one show from like 10 years ago? Or no. 20 years ago? Um, so, you know, this is essentially a, uh, show for kids about children's books. And, uh, I think this might have set a record in, uh, I think it was like in the first day or so that it had raised $2 million, which was twice its, uh, funding target. And the first day? Uh, yeah, it was, like, insane. I remember looking at this, uh, like, pretty much, you know, uh, like, the first time I heard about it, I looked at it, and, you know, I uh, watched the video, and the time that I was, you know, watching the video, the pledges had gone up by, like, two or three thousand dollars in just, like, five minutes. Wow. So, So, uh, to be clear that this... This is not to bring the show back. This is to increase the quality of their iPad application and to hopefully expand that to different platforms and to offer it for free to school kids, like actually in schools. Cool. So, and I wonder how many people that have backed this uh, do not realize that. Probably <laughs> quite a bit. So, uh, right now they sit at just below three and a half million uh, with 27 days to go. Ouch. Raspberry? Raspberry! 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 (laughs) Okay, this is pretty weird here. So, uh, what is this raspberry? So, another use for the Raspberry Pi is to turn it into Jasper, the talking computer. Jasper is, of course, free, and it's a uh, software that... Look at the names of the guys. To college students... Uh, looks like Charlie Marsh and Shiburu Saha. Okay, there you go. Yes. Anyways, so this Jasper can respond to voice commands. Uh, so it follows like format. You you'd say Jasper, and then it goes beep beep, and then you say what time is it? And then it would come back and say, oh, it's eight forty-five or whatever the time is. 
They can do other things like the weather and check your email and the news and remind you of birthdays and things like that. But the, the most interesting part of it is they have, it's built very easy to plug in modules so you can write your own uh, modules in Python and plug in and make it do uh, other things. So if you have a custom application, you can make it drive it or uh, right now I'm thinking, of, you know, remember how I had the, the weather, uh, the temperature sensor on my Raspberry Pi? Yeah. So something like this, I could plug in the to the API and then I could like command my Pi and be like, you know, what what is the temperature outside? And, and it could go and access the temperature sensor and read off the temperature to me. So I thought it was an interesting application of the Pi, making it into more of a an informational device without a screen and keyboard on it. Exactly. So apparently this will run on a uh, Model B, uh, which is the one with, you know, more RAM on it. You could probably come up with something for, uh, like, reading recipes to you or something. If you had a way to search recipes, like a, a commands to do that, and then you could, be like, read that one to me, and it could, like, read it through line by line of the ingredients or whatever, and you could ask questions of it. That would be interesting. Interesting. So that sounds pretty cool, uh, literally. Yes. I was trying to download the uh, the image file a few minutes back, but then you guys started breaking up, and it wasn't going so well, so I paused the download. <laughs> yeah, you sort of uh, went to crap there for a few seconds. So, so um, if you guys hadn't noticed, there was a, a big Apple thing, like, yesterday or something. And as much as I hate talking about Apple, I think we might need to talk about Apple for a moment. Uh, uh -oh. They released a new programming language called Swift. It replaces their crusty old language called Objective-C, and that's been around since the last company. Uh, Swift looks a lot like JavaScript and uses LLVM, and this is supposed to be like their new language to code uh, iOS and uh, even some Mac uh, programs. So this, so yeah, this uses the LLVM, uh, formerly the low-level virtual machine, which is like sort of, you know, like a, uh, you know, I suppose it's sort of like the .NET runtime or something, uh, something like that. Um, but yet, yeah, you know, and it's generally, you know, a object-oriented, uh, garbage-collected stuff like that. So. Uh, this this is uh, big news for everyone in the uh, Apple world, and it should be coming there pretty soon. So, well, so yeah, none of us have ever really uh, programmed uh, for Apple hardware before, so we're sort of uh, not really in the loop on this. Uh, but hey, uh, something that we might all be in the loop on is Linux. Uh, Linux Mint 17 has been released. And uh, the big thing with this, it looks like, is their new long-term release or support strategy. So until 2016, uh, this and all future uh, one, all future releases until 2016 will use this as a code base or like a package base. Uh, so in theory, it should be easier to upgrade from this, and they won't start on a new base until then. So, uh, Stephen, have you ever run Linux Mint? I did used to run Linux Mint all the time. There was my live Linux on my flash drive. Then that flash drive broke. Yeah, it broke. So I haven't been running. I don't have a live CD of Lin a live flash drive of Linux anymore that I carry around on my keychain. So, uh, what's your preferred distribution nowadays? I I went to Ubuntu in college, and I kind of liked it, and I, I've stuck with it, even through Unity and everything. So right now, that's what I like. 
Mint was very pretty and it was more Windows-like. So back when I was more into Windows, it was a good transitional operating system. But at this point in time, I kind of like Ubuntu just because it's, it's standard. So you have yeah. a lot of things for it and support for it. So, and uh, Mint is also based upon Ubuntu. So, you know, getting things running on it shouldn't be that more difficult. Yeah, they're, they're both Debian. So it's yeah. overall, it's not different. It's just the look and feel is a bit different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think I'm navigating back towards uh, Zubuntu which is the Ubuntu with uh, X-Face on it instead of the Unity. So, um, because uh, I I believe I installed that as a virtual machine on my desktop, and uh, the default menu that it ships with doesn't make me want to stab people. So, <laughs> so and uh, speaking about new things, Wildfly 8.1 has been released. Uh, that's a Java enterprise server, uh, so I guess I better get started on using it. So right now, I believe my blog still runs on uh, Glassfish, which was literally copied over from the uh, you know from before I formatted it uh, uh, pretty recently. So, and uh, you might remember about a year ago that uh, uh, was I believe it was Opera had abandoned development on their own uh, native uh, browser engine and uh, went with WebKit, and then about a month later. Uh, Google decided to fork you WebKit and uh, create Blink uh, from it, and uh, Opera decided to follow along with them. And uh, some interesting things have happened since then. Uh, like the number one cause of Google breaking away is that there is like so much dead code just lying around. Uh, so pretty much immediately, what they did was like cut out all that dead dead weight, and uh, you know start the uh, also, uh, Apple has started cutting out uh, quite a bit from WebKit, and both of them are starting to grow again, uh, but they're nowhere near the size that they once were. Uh, another interesting thing is that this has caused the rate of commits to the code base to go way up. So, And as expected, Google is the number one committer for Blink, and Apple is the number one committer for WebKit, uh, but the number two in both of them is Samsung for some reason. Huh. So the interesting thing about that 8.8 lines of code that got deleted, though, it said that they were layout, primarily layout tests and supporting images. So if it, they're unneeded, yes, sure, that was good stuff that you get rid of if they're unneeded tests. But on the other hand, that's not really helping improvement of the actual app. Don't go into the light. I probably didn't play Portal 1. Is that what I'm missing? Uh, no, you're missing the fact that your connection's crapping out. Oh really? Yeah. Oh right, this is the—that's the bug. Uh, what was the name of the movie? You told me that last time. Uh, a Bug's Life. A Bug's Life. I still need to watch that. So an old movie. So. In, in, anyways, do, do I need to reiterate what I said? No, I think I think that came through okay. Okay. So uh, along that line of thought, though, so they took out 8.8 million lines of code, but the code base was only 900,000 lines. So it's pretty interesting that both of them are running on, like, negative eight or nine million lines of code. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's the future. What are you going to do? So, and, you know, it's pretty much to the point where Chrome renders in the past or the future or something. Or, no, yeah, it renders things uh, in the past so it's available immediately. Interesting. 
At least that's what I remember thinking, like, whenever Chrome version, like, 8 came out. And they're like, uh, you know, uh, like, page render speeds went from 2.3 seconds to uh, 0.8 seconds or something. And, like, pretty soon they're going to be rendering the past. And then, like, a few versions later, uh, like, it was, like, actually, like, pre-caching the links that you were likely to click on. So, rendering them. <laughs> yes, they were rendering it in the past soon after that. <laughs> wow. That's what your data plan. So, <laughs> Is this true? At least if you're on a, uh, especially if you're on a uh, mobile phone. Mm-hmm. So, hey, speaking of uh, data plans, uh, you know what also contributes to data plan usage? But probably not as much, though. Uh, link shorteners. So, you know, these are like the uh, URLs that you find out, like bit.ly and like t.co and like a few other uh, companies have. And then a slash and then like, you know, travesty letters or whatever. Um so apparently what's been going on of recently is that, you know, one shortener points to another shortener, which points to another, and it bounces around like anywhere between five and ten, maybe even twelve times. And uh, people are starting to get annoyed by this, like really annoyed uh, because, you know, you know, they increase page load times. And especially in the, in the industry that I'm in, e-commerce, uh, time is money. Like, literally, uh, because people are impatient, if they think a page is loading too slow, uh, they're going to, you know, go elsewhere. Uh, you know, this has happened to pretty much everyone who's used the web. Yep. In the, in the article, he had given an example of some of the time that it had taken to load something. It was like three seconds Yeah. by the time it bounced around, back and forth, back and forth. So, uh, like this particularly egregious example that it bounces around like, uh, like five, uh, shorteners before it even reaches the destination where it's supposed to be at. And, you know, it also tabulates up the, uh, the requests, you know, the DNS requests to figure out what's the IP address and then the HTTP latency, you know, the TCP handshake and all of that. And, uh, you know, it adds up to anywhere from two to three seconds. And if this is all on, like, a continent or two away, it could easily end up being, like, ten seconds. So That, that, that reminded me of uh, the, the software as a service class I'm taking. This is, uh, they, we're doing a REST service, and it, they were remembering, like, some settings. Then they were saying, oh, well, when it comes okay, to Okay, you case, just, like, blanked out there. Should yeah. I start from the beginning? Uh, you mentioned REST service. Why is my connection so bad today? And I, I'm I, here. Ha ha ha. I paused my download. You might want to turn off your camera just to try something. Okay. How's yeah. that? Any okay. Better? Uh, well, go on. It'll probably get better over time. So, you mentioned okay. you're making a REST service? Right. So, we were making a REST service for the, the homework assignment and... It said that uh, we were storing some settings from the user, how like they sorted the page in the session variable. And it was saying, oh, well, since we are changing how the page works, we should redirect and put that session data. And it just kind of, it reminded me of that because it's like, okay, so I'm going to redirect the page a whole other time after it got, came all the way back to the web server. Then I'm going to redirect it again. So that's going to add like another, you know, part of a second to it. So we're kind of reminded me of that. So where were you putting the settings? What's that? Where were you putting those settings? It was into the session variable. 
was a Ruby on Rails app. Okay. So, so it was like storing which direction the user had had a list sorted. So they go away from that page, then come back, and we'd show the list sorted the way they left it. So they were saying, well, since the link coming back is, even though they just hit the home page, we should redirect back and put the other stuff into the link so that if they bookmark the page or something, so it still comes to the same spot. Which, and you do have to redirect again, and it's like another another page load. Exactly. So, uh, Scott Hanselman has also been annoyed by this, and he you know, points out a very, how should I say, uh, important uh, fact that these are all points of failure. So, you know, for instance, uh, he has another example. Uh, yeah. Okay, so you're back, Steve? Yes, I am back. Okay. This is a beep or something every time I go away. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, Scott Hanselman here gives another example of it, of a, you know, a request bouncing back around seven or so times. And he's saying that these are points of failure. Because if one of these goes down or goes out of business, it means that all of your links are now broken. So, you know, this is, you know, something that apparently no one's even thought of. You know, oh, we need marketing research and analytics on these, you know, who's clicking on these links. Uh, but, you know, how should I say, uh, they're not realizing that this is kind of, uh, you know, bad for, you know, bad design. So, have you guys ever had to deal with, uh, you know, services going down? I've seen the the shorted shortened URLs before go bad, and it's it's definitely an issue because it can come up overnight. It's so easy for someone to become one of, one of these services. That also means that it's likely that they might just die just as fast. So, oh wait, we uh, we're Google users, so yeah, we've had things uh, uh, disappear on us before. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, so I haven't uh, ever come across this term, uh, Cobra effect. It's uh, Cobra effect is when a supposed solution to any problem, you know, is implemented, but in reality, it actually makes it worse. Um, this was actually uh, like actually named for Cobras. Back when the uh, British were ruling India, they you know realized that cobras are kind of bad, so they offered a reward for like all the dead cobras. You know, someone goes out, kills a cobra, and reduces their population, and they would like be rewarded for this. So people eventually figured out to game the system. They would raise cobras and then kill them to get the reward. So the British figured this out and ended the ended the program. So people are like, why am I keeping these poisonous snakes for? And they release them into the wild, therefore driving up the uh, cobra, cobra population. So you can see how that's a bad thing, right? Yes. So okay. so uh, in explanation, it made me wonder why people hadn't done that with like the coyotes and, and other things the U.S. has had in the past. Yeah. Um, so in an effort to increase security... Uh, some sites have apparently are going around to disable paste on password fields. It is one such Cobra effect. So this is, you know, pretty obvious in that, you know, if you use a password manager, uh, you can't exactly, you know, paste in your new fabulous randomly generated password uh, into these fields. So, 
you know, this is, you know, kind of, uh, you know, like a reverse practice is like, oh, you have to type them in now. Well, the best passwords are the ones that you don't have to type in and you don't even know them. Agreed. So, I mean, I've come across this, I think, on battle.net. Uh, has anyone else come across this? I have seen websites before, uh, and I remember it was incredibly annoying because, yes, I was okay, using okay, Pass. Okay, annoyed, uh, you just dropped out again. Okay, the, uh, the connection is really bad. Um, so, is it back? Uh, websites. I turned off my video to see if that helps your streaming. Okay. Me too. Uh, what was it saying? Right. So, I, I, I've seen, I think it was a banking website where they had the pasting disabled and it was incredibly annoying because I, I was using KeyPass to enter my password and I think I ended up, I had rail bar and then manually type it in. So, it did hurt me because I was using more secure password and I, um, let's see it. Now, now that I think about it, like my old, uh, banking website, not only disabled paste in the password field, it also disabled keyboard input into the cat pass field. Uh, they had an on-screen keyboard so, that you had to have an on-screen keyboard there. It was like actually on the page, you had to click keys on the screen in order to enter in your password. Uh, that's like, uh, really unsecured. Yeah. See, the thing is, though, with uh, the on-screen keyboard, if, you ha if you're if you clicking on it, then that, that destroys... Key no, like, screen capture wouldn't help with, though. Yeah. It would help with... It. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I guess the reasoning behind disabling paste there is that, you know, what if you have some malware on your system that, you know, can steal, uh, you know, monitor the clipboard? And, you know, think of it this way. If there's malware on your system that can capture the clipboard... There's malware on your system that can also log your keystrokes. So, you know, that's... You, they're not really thinking straight there. Uh, nobody is. No, no. one thing I was doing was I've seen before... This was a few years back, so it's probably something that's been fixed in modern web browsers. But it used to be like with IE, you could go to some websites and they would be able to show you the contents of your clipboard. So if you're copy and pasting your password into your bank account, say that could potentially open you up if you go visit another website and they know where you're redirected from or something and, and they find a password in your clipboard. Yeah, and uh, like I've actually come across forum threads and this was like maybe 15 years ago asking, what's on your clipboard? I'm like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, if you know, just to participate, I would go and copy some random bit of text from somewhere like a you know, like an icon or something, and then paste Copy it. Paste. <laughs> Just specifically for that. So, then, do uh, you ever remember those old fonts on computers? Like, especially the, uh, uh, like, DOS fonts, like, before you uh, booted Windows? Yes. Like, the, uh, the font that BIOS, you know, all the BIOS, you know, menus use. So apparently someone's gone and ripped out all of the uh, fonts from 16-bit computers, uh, you know, like from back in the 80s, and even 8-bit machines as well. So, uh, you know, here there's the uh, IBM PC VGA font, uh, which, you know, looks pretty familiar. And it also has the uh, Apple Macintosh uh, one. Uh, I believe it's called Chicago. I've, uh, you know, back when I, uh, was in, you know, 
elementary school, you know, all the uh, computers at school were Macs, but I had a PC uh, back at home. And I always wanted to know what Chicago would look like on Windows. So now that I have a PC with Windows 98 on it, you know, I guess I might have to do some experimenting. Any thoughts? Mm. Nope, none. So I'm there for the moment before you said any thoughts. Are you fading out again? It's coming in and out. It's I think it's a tiny bit better, but it's strange. I was actually on a Skype call with my brother before this around five, and it was it was having issues with breaking up. So I don't know if it's with Skype or if it's with my internet or what the deal is there. Well, uh, it is sort of like raining around here, so maybe some water is getting into your DSL. Mm. So, who's your internet provider? Uh, Hickory Telephone Company, the one of the oldest telephone companies in the state, I think, or is that the country? One or the other. And and it only serves your town. Yes. That might be why. Could be. So it's probably a third tier. So. Um, have you ever seen those, uh, like, status bars or menu bars on websites? Like, as you scroll down, they sort of, like, collapse a little bit? Yes. Um, I'm just gonna say something. I hate those. Uh, do you guys hate those? Yeah, they are annoying, especially when you're on your mobile phone. (laughs) I I tend to find that I don't normally use bars find it convenient to use them, I, I still scroll up out of habit, or I'll hit page up or, or something, or go to the home. I stand by for garbage truck. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm pretty much mostly the same way. I hate these, and, you know, I just scroll. It's not really a problem, and I don't even touch those things. And because I run no script, they're not even there most of the time. Um, and, uh, you know, ironically, what you said there, Chris about mobile devices, you know, that's pretty much what they're, you know, supposed to be designed for. Uh, but, you know, I can't see myself using it even there. Well, you, you had the old version of mobile phone where it was the old smartphone, small, tiny screens, but the smartphones nowadays have a much bigger screen and just act like just a regular old PC. So, uh, this article here says that, you know, when you're scrolling down, it should go away. Uh, in order to increase vertical space. But as soon as you start to scroll up, then it should appear. Which, I mean, I suppose I don't really have a problem with that. Because, you know, it you know makes it go away. I feel like that was pretty clever. Because you never read up on a web page, typically. So, it seemed to make sense. Yeah, but the other problem is when, the, when you can't see the entire menu. So, you start scrolling down. Uh, I suppose there could be exceptions for that. Like, if the menu is open, then don't make it disappear. So, uh, Joshua Barzak uh, claims that OpenGL is broken in so many ways. Uh, This is the uh, 3D graphics API. Uh, This guy is apparently the lead graphics engineer at Firaxis Games. And uh, if you uh, don't know uh, what Firaxis is famous for, it's known for the Civilization series. So uh, Joshua goes on here to explain that uh, OpenGL is highly fragmented across platforms. Uh, OpenGL driver quality is highly variable and lags abysmally behind DirectX, uh, which is its competition. And OpenGL as designed is inferior to its competitors in several very important ways. 
and that's pretty much what this article is ranting about. It rants that the shading language that it uses is broken, uh, threading is broken, and by broken he apparently means it's not there. Uh, texture and sampler state are orthogonal, which I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, there's uh, too many ways to do the same thing. Its error handling is wrong, and there's a lot of small inefficiencies with the API. So, I mean, I guess I'm pretty much the only one around here who's done anything with 3D, uh, at least significantly. So, and, uh, you know, especially with the uh, competition given by uh, Mantle and uh, coming up with uh, DirectX 12, uh, it's supposed to eliminate a lot of the, uh, like, the overhead associated with it. And uh, especially with DirectX 12, well, and I guess both Mantle as well, uh, supposed to, you know, r uh, dramatically uh, increase the multi-threading capabilities. So, yeah, I guess we're sort of back in the state we were about 10 years ago with OpenGL, where it was, you know, DirectX 9 had come out, and OpenGL really hadn't done anything for a couple years. So, I guess that's sort of the reason why I stopped using it. So... Have you ever noticed the flood of indie games that we have? Uh, Chris, how many uh, in indie games do you have on your Steam? Uh, quite a bit. I, I can't actually remember the last time I bought a big game. So, so I mean, I got Star Citizen, I got Minecraft, I got um, Titan Attacks, Planet Explorers. So, uh, have you uh, ever bought a, a Humble Bundle? Sadly, no. Okay. Well, I pretty much blame the Humble Bundles uh, for the reason that I have not played or touched 80% of my Steam library. Uh, so, and then with all of the uh, Steam sales and uh, actually the Humble uh, store, uh, that, you know, indie games are being released for really cheap and they're, you know, pretty much multiplying like termites. It's great, but... Uh, uh, this guy, uh, Jeff Vogel here, says that it's unhealthy, and uh, it may produce a market bubble. He uh, states that the indie game market is a race to the bottom, uh, but this is contrasted with AAA studios that spend themselves into bankruptcy trying to make their sequels big, bigger, better, and flashier. So, um, let's see, uh, he, he, you know, he goes on this really depressing article... Uh, but he has cute animal pictures to decorate it with. He does. Uh, so he uh, asserts that, you know, there's a flood of indie games coming onto the market, but the overall, uh, you know, pool of money that these uh, people are competing for has not really grown as dramatically. Uh, so they're each competing for a smaller and smaller part of the pie. So, and he's, you know, essentially saying that, you know, we're all dooming each other. It's sort of like a, a tragedy of the commons. You know, Andrew, in this article it says, this wouldn't be a problem if there were a demand, but there's not. After all, almost 40% of games bought on Steam don't get tried. So, uh, at least in my particular example, it's about twice that. Yep. So, you know, I guess this is more of an ideal, uh, you know, it's a... It's a lot healthier uh, than it was like maybe 10 years ago in which, you know, there was only, you know, the big studio releases and that's pretty much what everyone played. Correct. So, but then again, we really didn't uh, have all those gray, uh, you know, like muscle bound uh, space marine bro shooters 
uh, quite back then yet. So we had a lot of good games back then. So yeah, and games were just more colorful back then too. Correct. And they really didn't look like crap. So they had just stopped looking like crap. So, uh, how many APIs have you guys used? Have you ever felt like you were going to stab someone when you used it? Uh, you mean like Eclipse? Uh, I mean, have you ever used the Eclipse API before? Uh, in college. Well, we used the IDE in college. Uh, I think I had the wrong term for API. The uh, Application Programming Interface. Hmm. So, so, so... I have used APIs, and contrary to where you want me to go with this, the one I used actually was very excellent. It was uh, for a company called Cover My Meds. They do, like, uh, verification. Like, when a, a, an insurance claim fails, you can send them the claim, and then they, like, reach out to the doctor or the insurance company or the patient to get the information to make the claim work. And so they actually have a very nice API. So, and... Uh... I guess it's not necessarily the the API, but rather the tooling around the API, like all these soap, uh, like all the soap stuff with the XML. Um, it's uh, it's sometimes a pain in the butt. I I remember back on one of my previous jobs that uh, uh, with the uh, cell phone tower company that there was I think it was with the FAA uh, like whenever a light goes out on a tower that the FAA needs to know about it within, like, 30 minutes. Uh, so, uh, uh, like, one of my t- uh, projects there uh, was to create a, I think it was a RESTful service that would call the FAA uh, with their, you know, their XML API, and the tooling around that was just a headache, you know, you know, just, it's not even really, you know, trying to navigate through their committee-designed XML. It was, you know, just wrestling with the, you know, the local Java API for that that caused me pain. Um, uh, let's see, and then a more recent example would be uh, payment processors. Uh, there, uh, see, I think it was like one payment processor that their API was just a, you know, a bunch of URL parameters, you know, just over HTTP. Uh, that was pretty nice. And I think another one did, uh, did a SOAP, you know, XML thing. Uh, but the tooling in my platform is a lot better. Uh, so it doesn't bug me as much. I feel like half of it is what's around how your service works. Like the documentation examples, uh, and like customer service. So like, cover my meds they have example code up on github in different languages calling it so it's like you can pretty much copy what you're using then they have excellent documentation and their customer service is really fast at getting back to you so it would be annoying if it, if like any of those weren't there just one of those missing would make it a, seem like a bad api but since all the pieces are there together it makes it easy to consume the service because you have the information you need yeah, I I remember the FAA uh, one. They didn't have any examples or anything like that. Yeah, that's the toughest thing to figure out what's supposed to go in there. <laughs> so you know, you can sort of like look at the parameters and sort of like figure out you know what what's going on, and then it's like okay, well we need this data that comes out of it. So yeah, uh, I guess that would be like you know, a main gripe about that, but, you know, it's a government agency. Uh, you know, it's surprising that they even have a electronic uh, notice system like that at all. 
So, so, so I was looking through the different slides there, and one of them on slide 72 says, developer experience, user experience applied to developers because developers are people too. So that, that's a pretty good explanation of the APIs, why they should be good. So, uh, definitely, I guess I'll have to steal that term. So, uh, let's talk about graphics for a second uh, once more, uh, but hardware. Uh, 3DFX was a company back in the 1990s that pioneered 3D graphics accelerators on PC. Uh, I found a panel interview with the co-founders. Uh, they essentially talk about the uh, uh, like the history of the company, like from even before uh, they founded it to like when it got eventually got bought up by uh, Nvidia. Uh, so they specifically go over the history, starting from back when uh, apparently. All of them, or if if not all of them, then most of them uh, were working at SGI, uh, Silicon Graphics Incorporated, uh, like back in the 80s. Uh, the 3DFX eventually went out of business and got bought because they started competing with their add and board partners. Uh, like, I remember back in the day that ATI used to do this in that, you know, they would, you know, uh, they wouldn't manufacture the GPUs, but uh, they would, you know, design them, have someone else actually make the chips, and then get some of those chips back and put them on boards. And they would sell those boards as, like, their own. And, like, some of the other chips went to uh, a couple other companies that would, you know, customize it a little bit. Uh, so, apparently, when 3DFX did that, they handled it pretty bad. And uh, ATI eventually stopped uh, making their own boards as well. So I guess that's a lesson in business there. So, so you know, why would you, uh, you know, want to put these, you know, put this company's chips on your boards uh, when they too put chips on boards as well and they would be competing with you? So uh, uh, lastly... John Oliver lays down an epic rant in favor of net neutrality, sorry, preventing cable company on last week tonight. Uh, apparently this is a TV show that I don't watch because I don't watch TV. Uh, but he uh, pretty much lays out all of, the, uh, uh, all of the misdeeds of the cable companies. I especially like the part where, uh, you know, he points out that, you know, these companies are, you know, especially uh, Comcast and Time Warner are the lowest rated companies when it comes to customer service. And then he goes over like all the other companies that have done bad things like Bank of America took my home, Taco Bell uh, gave me diarrhea, and GM tried to kill me, but Comcast and Time Warner are the worst. So um, yeah, it's like pretty much all true. And then he uh, rallies the uh, legions of internet commenters to flood the FCC. And the really funny part about that is is that the FCC's website actually went down like a day or two after this circulated. Awesome. The link makes it easier to comment because I don't normally watch the videos during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> See, on Monday, the FCC website slowed as the agency experienced technical difficulties with our comment system. Oh, okay. I, I, I missed the why the FCC site was slow earlier. Wow. So they weren't ready for it.
I was, I was using a cucumber, and have you have you used cucumber with the the, the, the kind of like the plain text user stories? No. Okay, so basically you set up these features, and in a feature it has scenarios that's tested for a feature. So maybe a feature might be when I go to the the movies page as the user, I should be able to sort the movies so that I can quickly find my the movie I want or something like that. So then you would have a scenario. It's like, given I'm on the homepage, is it, this is the actual code you would write? Given uh, given that I am on the homepage, when the sort link, I should see a Bug's Life before some other movie. And so then that's you actually write those out as lines, and that's the code from a business po- person's point of view. So you can take like like user stories, write it into Cucumber as code. Then you take those code when you run the cucumber, and then it says, "Okay, we're missing the the declar the step for like making the clicking the sort link, for instance." So then you take that and you have a steps file. You write the definition for it, and you tell it to go click on this link on that page, and it it works pretty nice because you start off plain text, so it's easy to read the tests as I run, and then it's not too difficult to make each step pass. It's 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 pr- it's really nice. Hmm. Seems very, pretty cool. Yeah, it's very clever because it's 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 basically you're calling a function is what it amounts to when you say when I do this or that, but it has spaces in it and it's nothing. No, like I said, parentheses on it, and it's using some regex magic even within the the sentence. So if I say when I click the sort button five times, and so it could take that five times out of the 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 name essentially of the sentence. And extract that data and use it in some other way within your code. It's 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 pretty nice. Hmm. So uh, let's go on to uh, some podcast feedback. Uh, Ryan sent in a stream of consciousness, uh, like about sixty points or so. Did you uh, see that there, Chris or Stephen? Uh, I didn't. S- well, I, I did see his feedback there. Um, yeah, it was insane. He said he also put it on a phone. But that seems really suspicious that he put this much on it. <laughs> so, uh, starting out with the actual show, uh, uh, Ryan mentions that Unicomp keyboards are indestructible. Matt has one, and he loves it. I think the key presser is a little bit too hard for me, but I've been looking at modern mechanical keyboards with a backlight. Uh, I say that I want a keyboard that's black with no key labels. Black backlights can go die in a fire. So, and uh, given the uh, reputation that Matt has, it's surprising that he has anything that still works. So, with the with the destruction that he tends to have, uh, Ryan asks, "How's Inkscape and GIMP?" No, don't worry, I'm joking. Uh, he asks, uh, "I'm curious as to what hardcore CSS is." I don't think of myself as an expert, but I feel like I have a decent grasp on most things. I honestly don't believe that anyone has a foolproof solution to understand how floats work 100% of the time. Uh, just from my own experience, I don't even have a mediocre ex- uh, solution that works 10% of the time. So, uh, Ryan says, being popular enough to have an audience but not too popular to be overwhelmed, well, that's the best. Uh, Ross joined into the Raspberry. Uh, Ryan doesn't know what really benefits from a Xeon. Uh, he knows rendering farms love them, though. Everyone else, I think an i5 is a good enough. 
And as far as I know, nothing benefits much from a Xeon. It's mostly a higher binned i7 that has more cores and uses error correction memory. And it also costs about five times as much. <laughs> uh, Ryan likes the hack uh, for the user directory on the hard drive. Uh, I would have done that if I had good hard drives. I'm not exactly sure what he means by good hard drives. Does he mean a Velociraptor? What wasn't that when you were discussing the solid state drive? Perhaps he's saying he would have done that had he had a heart a solid state drive, maybe? Maybe. Cause that's sort of the uh, setup that I have. I hacked the uh, Windows install routine uh to put my uh, system on the solid state but have have all my users directory and user data on the hard drive. So uh Ryan says I reboot upon a Doom clock from Windows and it's not so bad. I like having time to get a drink. And no. what's that? I was going to say, I forget if I mentioned this last time, and maybe that's what drove this comment. Did I tell you guys about the Windows 8 and how it forces forced to reboot on me the other day? Uh, maybe. Oh, okay. That, that's, although, that's, although that's something that I am aware of. Say again, you, you broke up. Uh, that is something that I am aware of. Okay. So yes. It's getting worse. Yeah, you just went down a little bit, too. So uh, Ryan says, I bet love, uh, advertisers love the this HTTP whitelist, and SSL certificates are so expensive. Okay, is $5 per year too much? Well, how about $2? Uh, because Namecheap is offering really cheap SSL certificates to help reset the net. So buy now. So this is uh, something that is uh, going on for uh, the Reset the Net Day, which I think is uh, tomorrow. Uh, that's Thursday for everyone listening. So what is the goal of Reset the Net? Uh, it's supposedly in response to the NSA spying on everything. So they want to ah. make it harder for them to do their supposed jobs. So use more SSL? Uh, encryption, yeah. So... Uh, Ryan says, ARIA support. Nexus fails 100%. Uh, the best data structure is an array list, and the best algorithm is one that you can understand. <laughs> I definitely believe, agree with you on the algorithm part. Uh, the data structure, uh, maybe not so much. Uh, a huge shame that your feedback comes from other hosts. Well, I don't watch TV. Uh, Ryan notices that Ross sounds a lot like slap -a cow so, and I'm wondering, has anyone ever heard from that guy for a while? I dropped him a note for, uh, a while back. Don't even know what that is. So, Slap a Cow was one of our guests, like, way early on in the show. Uh, I forget, like, maybe episode 18 or so. I uh, believe I believe that was titled Quill Plant Waffle. Uh, do you remember doing that, Chris? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Quill Plant, yeah, that's not the All right. So, it was like where we made something disgusting and shoved it into a waffle iron. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember. So, uh, Ryan says, he asked about the podcast. That is so amazing. Best person ever. Even listening to one episode is awesome. Just so you know, Ross is the best. Uh, your co-host leaving you, and in general your uh, news being less stale, that might have helped you ease into a bi-weekly schedule. When I started this network, I told Sam and Ian that it would be perfectly fine to use an every other week schedule while in school. Sam decided to uh, do uh, every other N years, where N approaches infinity. 
I love how you rode into that poster story. Uh, I remember when you sent that poster uh, describing the uh, Jamie Noguchi system when I wanted uh, uh, Matthew to do the Psy Snap show. Um, I believe there's album art for that, but uh, it never really got started for the show anyway. Uh, Ross's audio is amazing. He sounds better than Ian and Ian, but that might be my fault because of my low bandwidth. Ha 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 ha, do we sound different? Ha 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 ha, Ross has spoken into the Microsoft, uh, channeling the, uh, the ATN, uh, how should I say, the ATN trope. Uh, Orion says, the Wii ruined the world, I agree. I dedicated myself to just Guild Wars for the most part because I agree. Keeping up was too hard and I was poor. And Ian hold on, Buck... Hold on, hold on, Why did the Wii ruin the world? Uh, because that was... I think that Ross said that when the Wii came out, he stopped really doing games that much. And, like, focused on doing comics and, like, having a job. Uh... So, uh, Ryan says that Ian Buck has bought too many games. Did you get Transistor by any chance? I did. I played. It's amazing, and I played an actual game. Uh, no, because I've been flash-flooded with Kickstarter rewards. <laughs> uh, Ryan says, best fringe ever, 10 out of 10. Would listen again. So, if you would like us to, uh, read your feedback, go ahead and use the contact, uh, link on the Nexus.tv. And as always, today is International Backup Awareness Day, which I need to get on doing that. Hi, Mom. How you doing? And hi to everyone else listening. Special thanks to C418 for the music. I guess that's it. Do you guys have anything else? Not particularly, no. Though it was great fun being back on again. Well, that's glad to glad to know. Would you like to be on sometime again? Uh, we'll have to see. I got a busy two months coming up. I got... People getting divorces, I have friends coming up, I have uh, honeymoon, <laughs> oh, it's busy. Uh, sister coming down for two weeks. So, um, let me guess, that divorce is not your divorce? Oh, uh, thank goodness it's not mine. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to save that one. <laughs> so, um, anyways, I guess my, uh, my next two months can't really top that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I'll be uh, going through these Kickstarter rewards. So, um, and also, uh, I think it's called Muse Open. It's a website that has, like, all this, uh, uh, like, classical music on it, and it's all for free. And I, uh, it's in conjunction with a uh, former Kickstarter. I think it was like the uh, free Chopin. Uh, so they they want to record like everything of Chopin and release it on the site. So uh, and I believe I got the uh, uh, I funded at the level where you, I got a full uh, membership to this for one year, so I can uh, like download everything unlimited. So I might have to write a script to go through all of this and uh, download everything. I, oh. I, I think I remember the Kickstarter from way back when. Oh, wait. <laughs> not download everything. Steal everything, because this is music and I'm downloading it. Yeah, and just make sure you do it from MIT's network. <laughs> uh... So, uh, let's see. Other than that, uh, you got anything, uh, Steven? 
Well, I'll be doing more more in that class and more cucumber. I put a link up. Cukes. Yes. That's interesting. You, you can actually see, if, if you go in the link in uh, step one, it, it shows the, the, the feature that I was I was explaining, and then it shows like writing the step, and then your the code that makes makes it go. Nice. But yes. So, and then I guess me and you will continue to uh, teach the other Chris about computer science. Ah, uh, yes. He's, he's starting, starting to get pretty good. He, he sent me this random text message on the weekend. It was like, oh, he was thinking for encryption of a way to encrypt things that other people wouldn't know. He's like, he was like, you know the way when you save a Word document, how it can recover? And he's like, well, that's the answer. You could, you could encrypt things by the time when you encrypt them at. So then I reply back. He's like, yeah, the person that decrypts it just have, has to know what time you encrypted it at. And then he didn't say anything back after that. So I don't know. <laughs> so I have, uh, like, looked at, uh, or rather downloaded some uh, Wikipedia articles about encryption. And I think about hash functions, hash tables. So, there you go. so yeah, we'll be uh, looking at that tomorrow. I, I was going to ask you something relative to meeting Chris tomorrow. Well, I believe we're still meeting at the uh, subway. So. Okay, Th- that's what that's what I was going to ask because I hadn't actually heard if it was finalized. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm not sure. Maybe uh, a few other people will be coming and joining this. I'm not sure. Okay. So. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's it. So uh, for me, Andrew Bailey and Stephen and Chris, uh, that's uh, this week's episode. So have a good one. You too. You too.